This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome back to Story Archives. I am your host, Mario Busto. Today, you're going to listen to something a little bit different. I know right now we're in the middle of our silo series uh, that we're following week to week, but I did a little review on another show called Beef last month around mid-April after I watched that. Uh, Beef is a series on Netflix um, that came out and I enjoyed very much. And Story Archives, although we do dedicate ourselves to whatever show or film is our focus in the moment, we also have commentated on other shows like Last of Us and Peaky Blinders before Silo. So if you are enjoying our content, know that we do talk about more than one show. And so when Silo season one is over, we'll move on to another show. And of course, when Silo season two comes back, we'll come back for season two. But um, in the midst of that, I did want to, I did get around to editing this in the in the midst of my full-time job and put this together for y'all. If you have seen Beef, it's on Netflix. It's a series about a, a man and woman who get into a road rage incident that starts off a whole sequence of crazy, crazy scenarios and events that just flip their lives completely upside down and it's, it's just a thrill the entire series it's a bit unhinged um it's a societal sort of statement on on life in the upper class and the lower class and the middle class and an immigrant story and all of that it's a really fun ride uh i hope you enjoy this review if you've seen beef you'll like it uh do know that it's filled with spoilers this this review so if you haven't watched beef i highly recommend that you do go watch it on netflix let me know what you think. Send us an email at contact.soapbox.house and enjoy this episode. Sorry for the long intro. Let's just get into it. Welcome back to Story Archives. I'm your host, Mario Busto. And today I'm going to do something that I've never done before, which is to do sort of an off the dome reaction review of Beef. The new series on Netflix is a dark comedy created by Lee Sung Jin and starring Stephen Young and Ali Wong. Now, typically on this channel, on our podcast side of things, we usually do like an episodic TV review of mainly television shows. We've done Peaky Blinders. We did The Last of Us. We did Lupin. Um, and we've done a few other just like isolated reactions to to other shows like White Lotus. And we have a couple of other series in the, in the pipe coming soon. But I wanted to do something different, uh, something I've personally never done, which is this sort of, you know, in the flow, instant reaction to beef, which I was so surprised by. I first and foremost, I didn't know it existed. I didn't know it was going to be released. And let me preface this by saying I'm not a trained critic uh, or trained reviewer, if that's even it. A job that honestly exists to be honest i am just an enjoyer of the of the arts enjoyer of tv and storytelling and uh, a director as well and own a production company where i create videos and create commercials and um also direct my own stuff as well so approaching this just from a perspective of as a fan and what i liked about it and just overall i'm not trying to critique anything here i'm just enjoying the ride that it was and it was a road rage filled ride that is probably the most memorable 
experience I've had watching a television show this year. Uh, first and foremost, I think I can honestly say, and this is not a this is not a knock on Ali Wong because she she killed it. Although I'm way less familiar with her work as I am with Stephen Yun, and um, pardon me if I butcher any pronunciations here, but I think he solidified himself in this series as one of the best actors in Hollywood in terms of just owning a scene and you're looking forward to seeing him in every scene that he's in. He steals every scene. And as someone just giving a little background of myself, um, my parents are Cuban and I'm Cuban American. And in, you know, recently I watched a show called Pachinko on Apple TV that really documented uh, the South Koreans and their experience. And I don't know if it was the early 1900s or not, but just the their their human experience being rooted out of a country that they loved uh, to go to Japan and to the States and just kind of um, documenting this journey of a family through generations and seeing the impact of actions in various generations and how that impacts motives and impacts relationships and impacts just the lives of this family. And actually, it's, I think it's two neighboring families because I'm a little fuzzy on the details here. Um, first film I, I ever saw that did that, that blew my mind, and it's still one of my all-time favorites, is Place Beyond the Pines by uh, Derek Sands France. And it has uh, Brad, stars Bradley Cooper, Ryan Gosling, um, Dane DeHaan, I believe. And it goes through, it's kind of like a sins of the father type of look of, of a show. And all of that being a roundabout way of saying beef is about two individuals, really. It's about Stephen Young and Ali Wong's character, which is respectively Danny Cho, Danny Cho and Amy Lau. Danny is a son of Korean immigrants or, yeah, Korean immigrant parents who came to the States. And he very much shoulders the entire family burden. His goal really in the series is he's sort of ashamed of himself and his lack of progress towards fulfilling, creating a fulfilling future that takes care of his family. So he shoulders on burdens that go beyond what he really needs to do as, as a human, which is to take care of his parents and to take care of his brother. And he's kind of hit with this relentless pressure from his family to shoulder their burdens, whether it's his parents who are in Korea, who he's trying to buy their dream home with, right? Which is like this parcel of land in California overlooking, you know, the ocean. It's gorgeous. To his brother, who's kind of aimless, um, a little lost in his own ways, uh, not as sharp as Danny's character in terms of what he wants out of life. All he knows is that he doesn't want what his brother is. So although you feel for him in certain ways, you kind of don't, he doesn't resonate as well with you because you're seeing more of Danny's perspective and you're, you are more sympathetic towards him of always being the one who's sacrificing for his family and not being given the appreciation, even to the point where when he's building up his business, his parents are always asking about, and what about Paul? What do you, about, what about Paul? You're dating a girl now, but now you got to find a girl for Paul. So it's never good enough for him to just do his own thing. So it's very much the burden of the older child and Ali's character, Amy, very much bur carries the same type of burden, which is this generational trauma carried down. Oh, by the way, please, let me preface this and say, 
there's going to be spoilers all throughout this review. So if you haven't seen Beef, go watch it. I'm, this is probably where we're going to start getting into some spoiler stuff here. Because what I'm about to say next is essentially a, a spoiler in Amy's plot line and, and why these two characters are electric together on screen. Amy deals with this trauma of not being loved by her by her parents from starting from the fact that they didn't want her. She was sort of an unplanned pregnancy in a way. Um, her father voiced wanting a boy, even though you can kind of sympathize with with his experience and his mother and the wife's experience. Um, she also sees that at a young age that her father was um, was not faithful to her mother. And so in that, she kind of internalizes that and, and acts out in her own way, not feeling worthy of love, not feeling loved, and trying to find fulfillment in a career path. Now, these two, they meet early in the show with Danny. The show doesn't really explain it to you at first, but he's returning hibachi grills, which you find out he's been caught returning for the third time by a, a really obnoxious cashier. And you find out later that he's turning in these hibachi girls because he's bought them three times to try to find the least painful way to kill himself, which is really dark. Uh, mind you, this show is a dark comedy in lots of ways, but I really think that that's not doing it enough justice in terms of the themes and what um, what they talk about and what they cover on the show as, as being really impactful. Uh, I, I view it art and television shows and films in certain ways where every once in a while one comes along that I look at and I'm I say to myself, you know, I'd be really proud uh, to make something like that. And there's other, there's several films that really transport you to to different places that uh, make you re- like just resonates, and you just you watch it and you're like, damn! If I was the director, if I was the writer, if I was the actor who had the privilege of being a part of that production, that's a that's a work of art. That's something that you, that's the type of stuff you strive to do when you set out to be in that industry. And I think Beef is really. Um, a testament to that type of thing. You know, Mad Max, um, Fury Road was one that I watched and I, I looked at Tom Hardy's performance in that just in the opening sequence and the the mastery of of that film. And it's not even one of my favorite films, but just watching it for what it was, was like, yo, that's something that I would love to have been a part of. Just looking back on that and you hear stories from it where Tom Hardy supposedly was kind of a pain in the ass on set or he was really frustrated with the workflow on set. And I don't know if this is true or not, but that he called the director after that film and said, I'm sorry. I, I just watched it and this is just, he called George Miller, I think is the director's name, and said this was worth it. And that's the kind of stuff you want to do. And as a creator in any industry that you're in or any profession that you're in, you want to create stuff that leaves impact. And uh, Steven Yeun was in a film called Minari, which I has been at the top of my list, but one of those films that I just haven't watched yet, which is a story of a South Korean family who comes to the States. And uh, I believe the father played by him is trying to make a living for his family in rural America, like in the 1980s or something like that, and the adversity that they deal with. And it's interesting that the next one of the next roles he plays is now a son, sort of present day shouldering the burden of a Korean family who hasn't made it in the States. Um, and there's something to appreciate there. I can sort of relate to that, not in in any close way to what his character goes through in the show, but that feeling of wanting to provide for your family, of wanting to do right by them because of the sacrifices that were made for you. That's that's kind of the stuff that you, that you really take away from the show and why the energy between these two characters is so magnetic between them. 
You know, every time that they're on screen, even though they're, you know, avowed enemies of each other, trying to destroy each one's life in the worst ways and most despicable ways possible. Every time they're on screen, they're just magnetic. They're meant to be together in lots of ways. And in lots of ways, you are satisfied with the way the story goes, right? Because it's almost like you're watching this and you're both disgusted by these characters, but at the same time, really sympathetic towards their struggles, really sympathetic towards their um, their own motivations for life and why they're frustrated with what they're going through, you know? Um, as a guy, I tend to kind of look at, you know, the male characters more in terms of how I relate in certain ways, but you can sort of see the other side of 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 the coin with Allie, Allie's character, Amy, she's frustrated because her husband is like kind of, he's a nice guy, but he's not fiery. He doesn't have a fire in the belly. She's very much the breadwinner and she deals with this complex, I think, that she wants somebody to take care of her. She wants somebody who loves her for her and she doesn't feel that sort of fulfillment at home in the way that she's desiring it. Um, she's sort of lost perspective in a way in terms of her success and what that would mean to somebody else. And there's a really touching moment where Danny infiltrates by becoming um, a fake alias by the name of Zane to become close friends with her husband, where he goes to a housewarming party and he asks her, he just kind of point blank asks her, he says, just tell me, do I have to get to your level to, do I need to get to your level to be happy, you know, of success? Because she's on the brink of, we find her character on the brink of making the biggest acquisition deal of her life, pretty much selling her company, which is like this boutique uh, plant agricultural company uh, to this really obnoxious, um, you figure Fortune 500 company owner uh, play named Jordana, I think is her name. Uh, she's like, just, she's just kind of like a tongue-in-cheek version of of the evil evil CEO character that you see in, in so much, you know, where a lot of shows nowadays portray like this caricature that the CEO is always like this evil, you know, oblivious individual who covers all of their stuff with money pretty much. And she's that, she's that shtick in there. Well, she's about to buy Koyo House, which is the name of Amy Lau's company. And she's doing everything in her power to make sure that this deal goes through so she can spend more time with her daughter, which is like her only joy in life is her daughter. Uh, mind you, dealing with the husband who's a failed artist who makes these hideous vases, um, his mother who is spending through money and swiping credit cards left to right and doesn't have a pot to piss on, and the legacy of Amy Lau's father-in-law, who was this famed Japanese artist. Now... I mentioned earlier in this video that I watched a show called Pachinko on Apple TV, which is one of the greatest shows that I've watched in the last year. Um, Apple TV killing it. All they're doing is adapting best-selling uh, novels and turning them into TV shows and just changing the game with it. That show talks about the butting of heads between the Japanese and the South Koreans. There is a cultural divide between those two countries because of the histories, the shared histories and the mistreatment of South Koreans in Japan. According to that show, obviously I'm not South Korean or Japanese, but I think anybody can relate from whatever culture you're from that there are rivalries between cultures based on history. And the fact that Danny, uh, Steven's character, is South Korean, he's very much like this. 
He doesn't really believe what his parents tell him, although he does at his core. But he's very much like South Korean for South Korean and, you know, Peninsula people. And it's hilarious because one of the best characters in the show is played by David Cho and he plays Isaac Cho, which is kind of like this quirky, eccentric cousin who who's always up to something. Like all of his business ideas, ne- nothing is ever above line. Like everything always has some sort of shady, extra detail missing. And David Cho's perfect for it, man. Like I don't even know what David Cho does. He's just kind of like this really talented artist in real life but this dude has just next level charisma to the point where you just want to see him in more stuff and the moment i saw him playing danny cho's cousin i was like oh shit this is amazing because he's just you just like him like in whatever he does he can be the biggest piece of crap and he really isn't in the show he's just a guy who is caught in the middle of trying to make it um just he's just funny honestly he he brings a lot of levity to the dark in this in this series and in a lot of ways even though he's kind of scummy uh and danny is too i mean he's he pretty much puts his cousin in jail and the most despicable thing he really does is throw away his brother's acceptance letters to college which at that point you're watching his character and you're like damn i hate this guy but at the same time you're so rooted in in his journey and what he's going through that you see that this is a truly broken individual looking for meaning in life. And I think everybody on a human level can understand that sort of plight. And for that reason, it's it's more than a dark comedy. I don't even know if the creators of the series would want to call this a dark comedy. It's just a drama with comedy elements because life is funny. Um, there's a scene, you know, I grew up in church. I still go to church. And there's a scene where Stephen is at a Christian it's like a Christian Korean American type church where he goes for the first time. And let me tell you, they get the vibe of church down to a T, like a small church like that in a school or whatever building they're in. Um, you have this worship leader who is with, who's married to Danny's ex-girlfriend, which is kind of like the girl that got away, so to speak. Like he sees this guy and he sees everything almost in the show through the lens of like, that's the lens that's the life I could have had, had I not had to shoulder the entire burden for my family. And so in lots of ways, he's always finding issues with other people rather than looking for the problems within his own life and trying to fix those himself. But the first scene of him in the church is, it's in that moment that you realize how great of an actor Stephen Yeun is. Like, it just... He breaks down in this worship song and just in tears. It's just this one shot on him the entire time. And it's just a truly broken individual. And and he's so conflicting because you can see that he actually loves being a part of this community. And that it's it's completely not a part of the ruse of, of any sort of scheme he's doing. But at the same time, he acts completely against that and does things that he knows are clear he knows is clearly clearly wrong. Um so at his core, he's a good character. He's not a bad guy to the point where when he does certain things, you're like, you feel betrayed as an audience because you're thinking to yourself, man, this guy's not a bad guy. Why do you continue to do these evil things? But he's really somebody who finds an outlet to be who he is in this road rage quarrel he has with Amy Lau and vice versa for her. They find meaning in each other through their stupid road rage incident that looks to derail both of their lives. Um, Amy's life has more to lose because she's in the middle 
of trying to sell her company. So she does, she, in a way, she kind of initiates that she does initiate the road rage incident by honking incessantly and then stopping her car and flicking off Danny Cho's character in the parking lot to an excessive degree. But it was clearly somebody who just need, I think she was so unfulfilled in her life that she was looking for meaning and a way to derail and just throw something in the blender to see if anything could, could make sense. And so in, in like the show's universe, you feel so much so that these two were meant to find each other at rock bottom. He's leaving a store after having to return the item that he was trying to end his life with. And she's leaving the parking lot, which I don't even remember why she was there, by the way. I don't think the show tells us that. Um, she's leaving the parking lot on her way to just, I guess, go about her day, but in the middle of this million dollar acquisition, just unfulfilled. And she confirms that when he goes to the party later in the series and asks her, you know, do I got to make it to your level to, to just, to actually feel fulfilled in this life? Um, there's something interesting that happens later in the show. Danny, he runs a scheme with his cousin, puts his cousin in jail, uh, and manages to buy the home of for his parents, the thing that he had been dreaming for uh, his entire life. And in many ways, buying that home for his parents is the equivalent of Amy spending time with her daughter to the degree that she wants to be home and be a good mom and get back those years that she lost of her or of her child's childhood because she's she was taking care of her business child, which was Koyo House. And Danny's going through the house. He's showing his parents on FaceTime. And, he, you know, it feels too good to be true because it is. And he makes a, a side comment saying, I even did the wiring in the house. And so when he goes to pick up his parents from the airport, he comes back and finds the house in flames. And this is after Paul, who has an affair with Amy, because she catfished Paul, really despicable stuff in the show, goes to Amy's house and does the no-no. He goes and tells the husband, hey, I slept with your wife, to which that destroys their their marriage in, in irreparable ways. Um, so when you get back to the home, it's in flames and you think Amy's behind it. When in reality, it's Danny and the shortcuts that he takes in his life to be a an all-in-one handyman who's really not qualified for all of those jobs. It's just impossible to be. It was actually his fault that the house is up in flames because he did the wiring. And the wiring was done in such a poor way through a shell construction company that he was funneling money out of the church from that it just went up in flames. Um, and that's where you really, that's where the show hits its its peak of like where everything starts to go wrong. Uh, the show really does go off the rails with kind of the wackiness of the final. I would not, I'm not going to say the final episode because there's an episode where there's an aftermath, right? There's something that occurs where Danny goes to the house and he's bringing a plant or some reason for some reason. I don't remember what the reason was, but uh, it was almost. I don't know if he was making a bomb. I don't know what he was doing, but he was doing something really nefarious to kind of get revenge on. Amy, because he thought that she was the one who burned down the home. And he leaves there and accidentally, not only assaults the husband on on accident, really, because at this point, the husband knows full well who he is. 
but he accidentally kidnaps the kid because the daughter climbed in Danny's truck when he wasn't looking. So he accidentally kidnaps her while the cops are on the way. So he really doesn't have time to turn around and leave her there. And uh, has a, a scenario where now he's being held hostage by his cousin, Isaac Cho, who is fresh out of jail and using the opportunity to ransom this child back to Amy, who's loaded with money. Uh, Danny does everything in his power to kind of subvert that situation and get the child back to her, which redeems his character in a way. But then you find out that you go back in his past and you realize the reason his brother Paul is still living with him in such in a rut in his own life is because his brother hid all of his acceptance letters to college. And that's the reason he is where he is. So that every time you see like a good trait, it's balanced by something terrible they did in their past. Um, that whole situation shakes out and the show culminates with another road rage moment where both him and Amy go off the cliff and have this psychedelic experience. That's the only way you can describe it in the desert where you finally get what you've been wanting the entire show, which is these two just on screen together talking and connecting on a level. So it starts very aggressive and you kind of whittle away until they both <laughs> eat these berries that are, I don't know what drug it was, but maybe some sort of like peyote. It was like peyote in a way, because um, if you if you ever take peyote, you like throw up before, you throw up after taking it, I believe. Um, I have never done it. But you throw up and it kind of like dehydrates you in a way that gives you this psychedelic trippy experience. And these they both have this spiritual encounter where um, they're almost the same person. They're finishing each other's sentences. They're sharing each other's pain and human experience. And they connect on such a deep spiritual level that the show kind of just blows you away with the meaning of what that simple road rage incident that sparked everything off really meant it was almost like the you know god making these people meet in life at their lowest point um they both go through hell leave hell and as they're making it way their way back to society back to the normal day-to-day -day bs and drama that they each have to deal with in their lives danny's coming back to probably criminal charges uh, after all the stuff that he's done and been caught doing and accidentally been a part of and Amy's coming back to a really effed up scenario where, yes, she sold the company, but now the person who bought the company is dead and there's all sorts of stuff and we just don't know how anything's going to come together. But we do know that these two have found meaning in each other. And it's very strange because Amy has an affair with Danny's younger brother, but clearly she's almost hooking up with his brother weirdly in a way with him. It's like this odd thing because... Paul very much is an image of his brother and everything he's learned from him. And so in talking with Paul, she's always kind of prying for more information about Danny. And she starts to realize like, damn, this guy is just a shadow of who I am. And he's going through the same exact thing I am. And uh, they connect through these sorts of, um, through the grapevine bits of information they get. And the show ends in a really, what's the word I want to use? fulfilling satisfying way which is everything's going well they're coming out of this tunnel there's a bright light at the end of the tunnel and george who is amy's husband and now appreciating her after even after the affair shoots danny 
And at this, at the moment you see it happen, you're like, just when everything was going right, <laughs> this bastard comes in and shoots Danny. Thankfully, he doesn't die. The show ends with Ali by his bedside, comforting the only one by his hospital side, um, cuddling up next to him in the bed with this really kind of trippy light sequence going on. Some some really nice like uh, LED color sequences going on through the window, kind of splashing on them. And it ends with Danny wrapping his arm around Amy, which is this fulfillment that you've been looking for, right? It's this... Uh, they're fulfilling each other with what their what was the absence in both of their lives. You know, Danny was looking for that answer through through um, material success to provide for his family, for his brother. Amy was looking for success materially as well to get back her family, uh, never feeling loved by her husband or by her family. And um, they find each other, and that's how the show ends. And uh, on top of this show, I have a business show called The Soapbox Business Show, and I was talking to our guest. Uh, we're going to launch this episode next week. Uh, her name's Ariana, and she's a, a colorist. And I was telling her, I was like, after watching Beef, you you almost wanted an episode of seeing what their life was like five years later, because you could totally see a scenario where Amy and Danny end up married with a family and bridging the gap between their families and finding fulfillment and all of that, even with... Amy having had an affair with Danny's brother. It just makes perfect sense. It doesn't even matter because when you have that desert experience of connection with that person, it's like all of the nonsense, all the stuff that we put stock in just fades away. And that's what the show communicates beautifully, even in really wacky and crazy out-of-the-box ways. That's what it does masterfully. And in doing so, it gave Steven and Ali an opportunity to shine as actors and David Cho, damn it, you're going to get whatever you want, man, as like that side character who comes in. He's just a perfect role character to put in a show. Um, and what can I say? The, probably the best original series that I've seen on Netflix this year so far. And a standalone series. There's not going to be a season two, I doubt it. It doesn't really make any sense. But a standalone just work of art and a really enjoyable ride the entire way. So highly recommend it. I hope you enjoyed this sort of stream of consciousness thinking. I honestly did not prepare a single thing um, for this episode. I didn't even know I was going to do this about 45 minutes ago, but I felt really, um, I felt a desire to just put out like a speaking to camera, you know, stream of thought sort of thing uh, of, of what I felt about the show. And I don't even know what I'm going to do with this yet, but we'll post it as a podcast. We'll post it as a YouTube video. And I'd like to do something more like this for shows that I may have watched, but Zach didn't watch. So I really am talking to myself the entire time in a very conversational and not stuck up way of uh, discussing shows and, and the journey and the enjoyment of them. Because at the end of the day, it's a it's a storytelling medium and this show was able to make you laugh, make you cry, make you um, resonate and sympathize with these characters and their struggles. And in doing so, telling a really great um, cultural story that many cultures can relate to. Me as a Cuban, Danny, Stephen, Ali, 
I don't think Ali's South Korean, but I know Steven Yeun is South Korean, but telling that story had to have meant something personal to him and to her. Uh, I, I would just have to guess anybody who can be a part of it. Even uh, David Cho, his character in the show, he talks about um, the LA riots in the 90s and he shows it shows the famous photo of, of the South Korean man on the roof with the rifle. He says, man, if the camera just panned to the right, you would have seen me right there. And he's like, everyone there is kind of missing out on history by just a little shift of a frame to the right. Uh, and it was just terrific. I, I would, I want to see more stories like this. The beauty of this digital, digital, can't speak now. This digital age of the internet is the fact that we're so connected. We're seeing stories that we didn't really have as much accessibility towards um, earlier in in film and TV history. For example, Parasite winning the Oscar, like that was unheard of ten years ago. Or like, just look at the NBA. I mean. Think about Dirk Nowitzki. Think about um, Gallinari. Think about Andrea Bargnani. When those guys came in, there were whispers of these people. There were whispers of these kind of. I mean, I know the Gallinari and Bargnani were kind of duds in terms of their, uh, in, ter- in terms of what the hype was. But back then, it was like, who are these players? We've we've barely seen film on these guys. And then nowadays, it's complete opposite. You have uh, Victor Wembanyama coming out of Paris or France, wherever the hell he's from. And he's the greatest talent I've ever seen come out of the draft. Like, I don't know, maybe in my entire life. And every team is tanking for him. And it's with certainty that he's going to be good in the NBA if he can stay healthy. And that sort of connectedness, you're seeing it across every single medium of life, whether it's entertainment and art or whether it's sports. And it's giving maximum opportunities to tell these stories successfully and in a way that connects across language barriers and this show is in english the entire time pretty much except for i think a few subtitled moments but um i think that little the director i think bong jun what's his name the director of parasite i don't want to butcher his name but he mentioned that there's a little barrier it's a little two or three inch barrier of subtitles and if you can get past that as an american viewer you're you're going to open up a world of stories that that just blow your mind and it connect you into experiences that you've never you've never imagined but in a way weirdly resonate with whatever you've gone through in your life so i hope you enjoy beef i hope that this video falls upon whatever ears and eyes are out there on youtube and on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts and i hope that the creators of the series who i don't think i shouted out lee jung sin um that his name i don't want to butcher anyone's name here lee sung jin damn it you did a good job man you did a good job. And uh, Steven, you did a great job. Everybody a part of this show absolutely brung it. And um, you got an extra fan in me. Honestly, Steven, from I saw first saw you on Walking Dead to now, you getting bastioned by, by Negan was the greatest thing that ever happened to you because the this performance and the stuff you've done since that show, holy crap, man. The future is bright. Ali, same to you. I'm going to now do a backtrack of all your work and see what you've done because you've gained an extra fan in me. David Cho, you're the funniest bastard in this show and honestly one of the most likable human beings uh, that I've ever seen on screen. I think I've seen you on Anthony Bourdain before and on Joe Rogan and and I'm glad you got this opportunity to, to put your talents on the screen, which I don't know how many actor, acting opportunities you've even had. So that was impressive. Um yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I don't I don't know how this is going to do, but 
it was fun for me and I hope to do more of these. So peace out, watch beef, leave a comment what you thought about it. Don't think about it too much. Just put it out there. Until next time, I'm your host, Mario. You can find us on soapbox.house. We'll put the links in the description and we will see you on the next one. Peace out.